You are listening and watching Stuck in the Middle podcast. I am your host, Reflex. Welcome to another week, man. We are back on the desk. Uh, we got a special guest. She's joining us on Zoom on the line. But before that, before we get to our special guest, I want to thank everybody who kicks it with us every week, man, on YouTube. If you're watching right now, hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell notification so you get updates every time we drop something new. Send us an email, sitmpodcast237 at gmail.com. If you want to refer a guest, if you want to write for us, if you just want to connect with us, the whole team is producing this. And of course, we're online, sitmpodcast.com. If you want to shop merch and just keep it with us that way, man. SITM Podcast on all social media platforms. Enough of that. Listen, she's a digital creator and the author of African Folk Tales from Childhood. She's a Cameroonian. Long time we had a Cameroonian here on Stuck in Middle Podcast. Got a pleasure of speaking with Aliyah Kimbang. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. COVID treated you right. You. COVID treated you right. I know you're joining us from, from Texas, from Dallas, Texas. You know, how 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 is life over there? I mean, Texas is good. I actually just moved here about three months ago. So it's quite different from the Midwest, but it's good. I mean, it's big and they got good food. Moved three months. Where, where, so where were you based first? And you just been there three months. Where were you based? Where'd you move from? I was in Michigan and then I moved to Minnesota and then I'm in Texas. Was it because of this Africans there that you moved or you were like, I'm just going for greener pastures or? <laughs> Honestly, I was just like, I have been in the Midwest too long and I do have family down here in Texas. So uh, I don't know. I don't have any kids or anything holding me down to one state. So I just woke up and I moved. I respect it. I respect it. And, you know, that that's a great segue because I actually read and you said, you know, uh, writing is a pathway. And, you know, why, 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 first of all, why did you why did you write that? Why did you say that like, writing is a pathway for you? I think for me, writing has always been a way for me to, like, express myself. And it's a way for you to, like, convey ideas to different people in a way that, I don't know, that just gives them different insight. So think about it as what are some of the things that you do for self-care, right? I write. Mm -hmm. It's almost mm -hmm. a way for me to gather all these thoughts that are in my head and then put them down into somewhere. So it's, yeah, it's almost like my self-care stuff that I do. And so um, you from the Midwest residing now in, in Texas. And like I said earlier, you Cameroonian, right? Correct? Yes, I am Cameroonian. So how was life for you like growing up? Did you grow up here in the States or were you born back home, Cameroon? I was born in Cameroon and then I moved to the States when I was about 17. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, life in Cameroon was pretty, pretty standard. It was pretty normal, you know, go to boarding school, come back home, you have your parents. Um, just the usual. I didn't have like an extraordinary childhood or anything like that. And then I moved here um, right after high school. And then I started college at the University of Michigan in Arbor. University of Michigan. In Arbor with a bachelor's in microbiology and then master's in health informatics uh, yes. or informatics, whatever that is. What is that? <laughs> Think about it as where um, technology meets healthcare. So, mm. um, sometime in 2011, you know, they passed this whole um, high tech law where, you know, our healthcare system had to transition from paper to electronic. Mm -hmm. So you had people on the tech side who only knew tech. And then you had people on the public health side who knew nothing about these EMR systems. So they needed a group of people that could understand the public health side. So what is the impact of this on the public? And they need people who actually understood the, techno the, the technology side. So that's almost where, that's where the health informatics field come from. So it's, think about it as like where public health meets technology. That's how, so that's you're like rich, the easiest rich. way for me to explain it. 
Well, I mean, I'm blessed. <laughs> <laughs> she said, well, I mean, I'm blessed. You're very, very blessed. Mightily blessed. You never need to write a book. Not to say writing a book was, you know, the reason for you to, you know, make money. But you rich, rich. Is that is that what you're walking in right now? Would you say, like, are you walking in your purpose? So, well, I yeah, yeah. I do work for a healthcare company. Um, but yeah, yeah. I work in the health informatics field right now. So where where did the inspiration come from for writing this book? Like, how did you come about writing this book, uh, African Folk Tales from My Childhood? Yeah, so as a kid, right, when I was growing up, um, storytelling was almost like a huge part of my family. So um, my dad would always tell us stories before we went to bed. It was almost like a tradition. It was a thing that brought my siblings and I and my dad together. And mm -hmm. so... These were stories that had been passed down from one generation to the next. So these were stories that had been passed down. I don't know for how long these stories have been passed down, but everyone knew the story of John and Mary, all those stories in the book. And so as I grew older and I came here, my, my little cousins and nieces and nephews, they didn't know any of the stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even ever remember the last time their parents sat and told them a story. And so to me, it was like this huge part of like oral tradition because Again, storytelling was a way to pass down cultures and values from one from um, from one generation to the next, or yeah. between your families, or things like that back in the day. And so, this huge part of history was being lost. And so, that was really the inspiration was for me to capture something that was part of my childhood and preserve it for like future generations, so that way it's not being lost. And yes, yeah. you know. Android generation kids, they know <laughs> some of the stories. Right, right. So how many how many stories are in a book? How many stories? Are, I think they're about 13 or 12 mm -hmm. stories. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. And <laughs> you know, how for you, how important is it that oral history, African oral history, be preserved that culture? I think to me it's quite important, right? Because if you don't really understand um, your culture or where you're from, you almost don't have a strong foundation. Mm -hmm. So you don't understand why people do the things that they do or why maybe this tradition or this value was important. So to me, it's like that oral tradition being preserved or even just talking about it or bringing it to light is like really important because if you don't have a strong foundation, it's like, you know, people can just blow you from left to right. Right, and right. you just go in, in, in any direction that the wind mm -hmm. blows. Yeah, it's, you know, the importance of knowing oneself and one, where one comes from. And I think we're blessed in that regard, right? Being Africans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're surrounded by so much culture all the time. So, yeah. So be honest with me. Right. Uh, do you think in passing down this story from generation to generation, small might get small people were added to it to magnify their significance? <laughs> of course, of course. It's it, it with everything, right? You do add small Maggie or Pepe, even when your friends tell you tell you something and you're trying to tell it to the next person. Right. Mm -hmm something gets lost in that tra transition so some of the stories i try to keep them as authentic as i could mm -hmm. but again it wasn't from like the first person who ever told the story so i'm pretty sure that as these stories have been passed down um some of those little aspects have been lost but mm -hmm. i think overall the core of maybe the moral that that story was trying to teach still remains and i was i was particularly interested in reading this book because you know i can remember 
I can remember a lot of these stories, you know, I, like. Oh, you can I, remember the stories? No, I oh, couldn't. Okay. I, I now can, <laughs> but I couldn't, you know, I was like, dang, that's just, you know, growing up a lot. We, we used to hear a lot of stories from not only from parents and family members, from friends, you know, and there were songs associated with them and just, you know, it just made life all the more enjoyable. And then, you know, being here in the West, you're like, dang, I can't even remember them joints. You remember like bits and pieces of it, but it's not vivid. And so for you, when did you come to that point where it's like, yo, I can't remember these stories and I need to put these down in pen and paper? I think for me, it was when I was talking to my sister because she's quite older than I am. Well, not that much older, but I could, like you, I could only remember the songs mm-hmm. of the stories. I couldn't remember them. And I was like, oh, wow, this is something, this was something that was really important in my family right like my dad telling us stories was something that we always looked forward to and it always brought us together and so that was a turning point for me when I was talking to my sister and she could remember some of them or I could just remember the songs and so what I did was during COVID because you know working from home I did have a little bit of time and I would just go to these older folks houses and just sit there and they would Mm. tell me the stories and I'll record them or if I couldn't go to their house because maybe they lived in a different state they will send me uh, like an audio recording mm-hmm. and then I'm going to translate that and write it in, uh, and then put that into a book. So that turning point was definitely talking to my sister and I was just like, oh my gosh, that was like a really cool childhood memory and I have no idea. I yeah. didn't write all the stories. So, so a lot of research definitely went into it and in, in regards to, you know, um, you know, the broader research, were there, was there already something like this out there in the market where you're like, yeah, we're liking this, especially in Cameroon culture. And, you know, that's where you consider yourself. Like, I'm going to take the mantle. I'm going to write this. I'm going to put it out there. I think you, yeah, they have the um, the one from Nelson Mandela's Recommended Stories. I don't remember the title of that book, but it's still around the same genre. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there was anything like this from Cameroon, especially with the stories. I don't think this has, had ever been written down or captured before. Uh, um, but yeah, there's definitely other ones, right? Like the um, Aesop fables and things like that, but that's more European culture. Yeah, yeah. But not necessarily from Cameroon. I know. I know the difficulty of writing, publishing a book as a published author myself. What what kind of challenges you to face in publishing this book? Oh, first of all, I had never published a book before, so mm-hmm. that by itself was a challenge. It was a whole learning experience for me, and trying to figure out, okay, you know, um, how do you find a publisher? How do you find someone to edit the books? Who is going to do the design? So everything everything was a challenge. Luckily, my younger brother is like super, super talented and he was able to do all the illustrations for the book. Um, but definitely finding the publisher, especially if you're going to self-publish route, it's, mm-hmm. it's expensive because I'm paying to publish the book. It's not like someone is paying me. Mm-hmm. So again, those are some of the things that um, you definitely have to to put into consideration and then working with other people, people have different styles because someone is saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to deliver this at this time and they don't come true. So you have to constantly adjust your timeline and learn how to be, you know, ad- learn how to adapt and be flexible. Mm-hmm. So this entire process to me, it was a challenge, but it was also like a good learning experience because I mean, I, I love challenges. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, working with your, your younger brother who illustrated the pictures in the book. How was that relationship like? Oh, me and my younger brother, we do have an amazing relationship. It was actually good and bad. (laughs) Good in terms of we will stay up till sometimes like two or three o'clock in the morning and he's going to draw a picture and I'll be like, no. 
I need you to look at that picture. Where is the grace? I want someone to look at that picture <laughs> and let it tell the story. Because my younger brother, his genre, he draws anime and stuff. So this was out of, you know, his comfort zone. He's never had to draw things like this. But I was like, nope, the picture has to tell the story. I want someone to look at that picture and be like, that's, you know, the, the hunters sitting on top of the bones and the bones are sinking and people know exactly what that story was. Mm -hmm. So it was that constant feedback. And sometimes we'll stay on the phone. We're just going to catch up because he's in DC. He goes to, to college there and we'll order food. And, you know, we're just talking and trying to get things done. And then mm -hmm. the downside was, you know, he has college. And so sometimes he would say, hey, I'm going to get you this by what, Sunday. And then Sunday comes. Oh, I got busy with schoolwork. So I'm not going to be able to get that to get that to you on time. So, you know, that, that was, those were like some of the challenges. But, you know, overall, mm -hmm. it was a good experience for both of us. You know, you did research and actually going out, you know, to interview folks, get the stories, I'm guessing for accuracy and then, you know, doing research in terms of, you know, making sure that you publish it right and be professional. But what what was the biggest thing that you learned in the process of writing this book? One of the biggest things that I learned was that I need to learn more about marketing <laughs> from publishing the book. I think that when you write something, right? Like you can have a, a piece of art and even though it's a piece of art and it's laying under your bed, no one is mm -hmm. going to see it. Mm -hmm. So you need to learn how to put it out there, not just put it out there, but put it in front of people that it's going to resonate with and that they're actually going to maybe like purchase it and, you know, learn how to like scale this. How do I scale this outside of my community? And so that was, you know, one of like the huge things for me. It's like, I don't know much about marketing and i need to yeah. learn how to market myself not just myself i need to learn how to market a product i'm still mm -hmm. learning i'm not there yet that's why we are that's why you're on here <laughs> right hey, that's why you are here on stuck in middle podcast uh do you think that the experience and the art of telling stories and listening to stories from our parents you know the art of telling folk tales do you think it's lost in our society today i mean you mentioned earlier in this android generation in the west but do you think it's the same back home in the continent oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially in the West is definitely a loss because we're super, super busy, right? You have parents who are just, you know, going to work, coming home, they got to get food for the kids and do all this stuff. And then most of the time, the kids are on the iPads because they mm -hmm. have all this technology and all this other stuff to distract them. But when you're growing up back home, you know, I didn't have an iPad or all this stuff. I had to sit at home and play with the neighbor's kids you know, or look forward to my dad telling us stories. So definitely in this in this generation, that's something that has been lost. And even back home, it's still been lost because my younger siblings, I have a, a 13 and an 11 year old, 13, 11 year old sisters. They don't know the stories because mm. my dad, you know, over the years is like, we're getting more and more of that westernized influence in our mm. culture. And some of these little things that used to bring our families together are being lost. My siblings, the younger ones have never heard these stories because again, they're Android, they do have phones, they do have iPads, they have things that are distracting them, things that I didn't grow up with. So yeah, definitely this, you know, storytelling is gradually being lost in our culture or our yeah. community. From your research, uh, where do you think these stories evolve from? I think it was a way, like I, I said, to teach people uh, good from bad or wrong from right or like little kids because if you look at this um stories most of them are if you're good good things will happen to you if you're bad you're gonna die you know because mm -hmm. some of them are very wild and very graphic and i read them <laughs> i'm just like they were telling us the stories when i was like six seven mm -hmm. that they're gonna kill somebody and 
you know all this mermaid stuff it was i think it was a way another way for you to teach children and so that's what my dad actually used to do that to us as kids where when we do something wrong sometimes instead of yelling or you know whooping us or doing whatever it is that parents do he would tell us a story mm-hmm. that yeah. relates to whatever it is that you did to teach mm-hmm. you what you just did so yeah so i think and- he's and I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask, how were they told? You know, you, generally, were you know, was it like a camp, like a fire in the in the backyard, and you know, yeah, all the kids got it, and their grandma or the parents tell it, or it was just like, hey, you know, this thing happened, and here's the story. How was it like for you growing up? What was the experience in hearing these folks tales? It was a little bit of both. Sometimes we're in the village, and they'll light up a fire, and the kids would just gather around, which is where the inspiration of the um, the cover picture came from but you could clearly tell who was telling the story so if you look at the the cover of the book it's like the older person because usually there are older people in the communities that are telling the stories um but if it was back home uh, maybe in the city not necessarily in the village it's just going to be in the living room where we just sit around and my dad would like tell us the story so it, it just a little bit of both depending on mm-hmm. uh, where we were yeah i'm gonna put you on the spot real quick oh you're gonna put me on the spot. <laughs> what is one story from the book that is your favorite the story from the book that's my favorite is the Devil's Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my hey, favorite story. You got to tell it. <laughs> I have to tell it. Yep. It's um, okay if you want to read. If you just, you know, summarize, that's okay. Okay. So overall, right? So And facts, the, the characters in the book actually named them after my dad and my younger brother. So my dad's name is Richard and my younger brother's name is Ricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell you why the story is my favorite because my dad used to sing the song and it was mm-hmm. like the funniest thing, like listen to, listening to him sing the song. So the Davis Land story, it's like you have these two um, successful fa- farmers who are in the village and they have this rare um, garden egg which only them can grow and they're quite wealthy. Mm. And so one of the farmers, I think- Sure, I'm in the mood already. Let me me get comfy. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get comfy for this one. (laughs) And so uh, one of the farmers, um, um, Ricky, you know, he didn't have a good harvest and he started struggling, you know, lost most of his crops. And so he could barely take care of his family. And so he went to Richard's farm and he stole some garden eggs to feed his family. Mm. And so when Richard found out, Richard was like, hey, you know, you need to pay me back and not just pay me back, but I want this same species of garden eggs. And so Richard goes to the village trying to find this same species to pay Richard back and he couldn't find it. And so he meets this um, person in the market who says, hey, you know, they have this species of garden egg, but it's in the devil's land. You know, I know you might have ever come back from the devil's land alive. And Ricky, and Richard has given Ricky a deadline. You need to give me my garden eggs by this date. If not, I'm going to report you to the king or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Ricky decides to set off, you know, for the devil's land. And on his way, he meets, first of all, an older lady who is, you know, trying to clear her fam. And so she was like, hey, can you help me out? You know, I'm just quite this old lady. And so he stops to help her. Um, and so she's like, I don't have any money to give you, but you can take my matchet. So she gives him his matchet. The second stop, he finds um, some cattle men whose cows had escaped. And so he stops again to help them. And so they give him corn. And so once he heads over to the devil's land, he finds the garden eggs. And as he's picking them, like these devils come out of the bushes 
and they pick him up mm. and they lock him out in this big cage and they have this big giant chickens as guards and so what he does what he, he again they didn't take the corn or the matcha that that these people on the way had given him so they locked him in that cage and as you know chickens lock corn so he threw the corn like really far away from the cage and so as the chickens are eating and they're, and they're distracted he used the uh, machete to free himself and then catch some of the and get cut some of the garden eggs and then go home and so he goes home he pays richard back he plants those garden eggs and he becomes like super wealthy even wealthier than the king and so richard sees this and he's jealous and so he's like okay i'm gonna go to the davis land because i want to be richer you know than ricky and he sets up other davis land you know he gathers his spears machets whatever it is that he thinks he's gonna need to fight to fight these devils and so on the way that he meets those same people but he refuses to help them and so once he gets to the devil's land he starts singing this place smells this place smells this place smells like the devil's land mm. and so as he's singing and cutting um you know this garden eggs the devils as they see him they just like pound on him and they eat him because they're like one human has escaped before and we're not gonna let another human escape mm. you know and that's the end of the story <laughs> That's a sad ending, man. <laughs> it is. That's why I think these stories were very wild. They were very wild. But I just remember Sheesh. my dad singing it with like his voice. This voice smells. This voice smells. <laughs> I was gonna. Time, so. I was gonna ask what the scariest uh, of the stories are in the book, but yeah, I don't think it's a bright Saturday out here in DC. I think. I think. I, <laughs> I mean, most of the scary ones are actually like the John and Mary ones. Now that I think about it, because they're mm-hmm. either someone is getting swallowed by the bummy water or they're getting killed, and then the the ones about the tortoise are quite funny because mm-hmm. he's like wise and he always gets to with like all the stuff that he does so that was yeah no nah, that's that's dope man i really really appreciate you putting this you know collected oh, no. collection together and uh, i encourage everybody to go pick up a copy definitely definitely go pick up a copy support Aaliyah kim bang african folk tales from my childhood this is this is this is dope stuff thank you you actually well traveled um and have experienced a lot of cultures you know do you find that a lot of these folk tales translate to different cultures that you've you know countries that you've been to i love a lot of the stories like the folk tales mm-hmm. um definitely european cultures because they have something called um aesop um fables mm-hmm. so definitely in that part of the world i would say yes um i haven't looked into folk tales in um other cultures apart from like africa and europe so i can really speak into maybe the other countries that i've been through how many countries have you traveled to have you been to oh let's see now i have to count it's probably between 15 to 20 mm. somewhere in that ballpark what's what's what yeah what's one country outside of cameroon that you would love to go back and spend more time oh that's easy australia melbourne that's like- australia I love. Are you sick? All them, them wildlife yes. they got over there. <laughs> I love. That's what people say, but I never saw the kangaroo. I mean, I saw the kangaroos and like the zoo and Ain't stuff. But it's no like you don't kangaroo. see all that stuff on the street. I don't see. <laughs> I don't see videos of people going to take a dump, lift up the top toilet seat, and it's a big old snake in that joint chilling. <laughs> Uh-uh. That's that's social media. That's social. I was in Australia for six months, and I promise you, I had never experienced any of that stuff. It is it is a beautiful country. Uh, I mean, I, I love Melbourne. Melbourne's mm-hmm. the city. I love Melbourne. It, it, the people are super nice. It's mm-hmm. yeah. after college, I was like, I was applying to jobs there because I wanted to go live there. I love mm-hmm. Australia. What's next on your list for travel? 
Next on my list to travel, um, definitely. Well, right now it's um, Greece. Mm-hmm. When are you, when oh, are you going okay. to Greece? I'm gonna I'm be out there very probably soon. Probably in April. Oh, okay. We we going we going in April. We going bypass each other. <laughs> yeah, probably in April. So, um, your digital creator. Actually, <laughs> when are you going? I'm trying to go in April. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be this time next year. This the same time next year. Oh no, yeah. we're definitely not gonna see each other. Yeah, then. yeah, it's gonna be pew pew. <laughs> you actually do you still uh you actually a digital creator for uh Tori Day, which is based in, in Dallas, Texas as well. How did that connection come to be? Oh yeah, so um Tori Day had actually done a photo shoot for me way way long ago, I think probably three, three, two years ago. And uh, and so when we worked together, it was just like a you know how you vibe with somebody once you work mm-hmm. with them? It's like just good mm-hmm. energy, good flow. And so he was like, you should move to Dallas because I want to work with you. And I was just like, eh, I'm not going to move to Dallas. And so when he finally found out that I had moved to Dallas, he was like, hey, I want you to, you know, start doing interviews for me. And I do, you know, love his work and I love him as a person. So I was like, sure, why not? You know, I have free time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come do some interviews for you. So it was just photo shoot and next vibe was right and next next yeah. the next is history i love it exactly. i love it i got two more questions for you as we round down uh how would you measure success what is success to you you know both in terms of just personal life and the book how has it been received yeah i think success to me i feel like that has always been something that i think about but i think success to me has always been more about the people that have influenced if someone walks up to me and they say hey um, this blog post that you that you wrote helped me in this way. That's success to me. Or if someone says, "Hey, this book, you know, I've been looking for some this just the messages that people send out to me and say, hey, I've been looking for uh, a book like this from the Cameroonian culture, right? That's already just the fact that I published a book, and even if one person got it, that is successful to me because it takes a lot of work to put something out there it takes a lot of courage Mm -hmm. so success to me is really measured by how many people i'm able to inspire and influence yeah no that's dope i I, I definitely respect that where can people purchase the book how can people reach you if they want to learn more oh you can purchase the book on amazon um target walmart um baobab press Mm -hmm. if you do want to reach me you can reach me on instagram i'm pretty decent i respond i'm not gonna say good i'm gonna say decent um at ali Kimbang on instagram and i do have an email attached to my page as well and she's a blogger she got a website yeah i can hit her up <laughs> on there definitely appreciate this conversation this is dope stuff i hope people go out and purchase the book pick it up african folk tales from my childhood by kelly Kimbang. thank you so much for kicking it with us today yo yeah, no worries. Thank you guys so much for having me and for being super accommodating. I really appreciate it. Nah, yeah, nah, it's love. It's love. Listen, if you enjoy what you watched, what you heard, if you're riding around, you're doing dishes, whatever the case is, do a screenshot, send it to your group text, send it to your ex, send it to your aunties and them on WhatsApp <laughs> status and all that good stuff. Let them know we are here and we popping. Kalia Kimbang in the building. She's a digital creator and author, like I said, of African folk tales from my childhood. She's Cameroonian. She's based in Dallas, Texas. Well traveled, doing her thing. Uh, I am your host, Reflex. Shout out to the entire team, Ma Achiri, uh, Charles Tutu, Chuchu, and Ines. Appreciate y'all for checking us out this week, and we're going to see y'all in the next one. Peace.